most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. What is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Flex Podcast. I am your host, Chris Raybon. Joined, as always, by one of the top rankers in the game in Sean Kerner. And today, we're going to be talking all about fantasy football busts. And to do that, we got a very special guest, uh, one of my favorite dudes in the industry. Uh, he's at PFF. You've probably seen him on Twitter, Ian Harditz. Ian, what's going on? Thanks for taking the time. Love pod with you guys. Once upon a time, we all worked under the same damn yeah. umbrella. Times have changed, but we still find the time to get back and bark once or twice a year. So always good to be joining the squad. You know, obviously blessed to be in the presence of, you know, the how I forget how many times he finished number one ranker, Sean Corner himself. And Chris, you know, just uh, you were one of the first people to edit my articles back in the day, man. So <laughs> truly I've learned uh, so much uh, from both of you. And yeah, pumped here to be talking some fades. It's always easy to talk about the uh, Damian Pierce's of the world that everyone has good stuff to stay about. Uh, we'll see what happens today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this, these are the episodes I love. We get to kind of shit on guys. And I, I think <laughs> we need more of that in the industry, though, because everyone always wants to talk up guys. And I feel like people are overwhelmed. You know, they feel like they need to draft everybody. So uh, I think it's good to get these in. Uh, just a reminder, make sure you rate and review the pod. Uh, we choose our favorite five-star review each and every week, and you get a free year of Action Pro. So uh, be sure to uh, keep those reviews coming. We really appreciate you listening. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to start because, you know, we're recording this on, on Roster Cut Day. So uh, is there any any cuts out there that happened to, uh, you know, guys that maybe you were like, oh, man, I really like them. You might have been, like, unreasonably standing for that they just got the boot. Bro, I was in the middle of a podcast, and I, you know, I monitor Twitter for, like, just uh... – Big news or stuff breaking, and I just see like 20 mentions come in. I just go, oh, no, it's Auden Tate, isn't it? <laughs> of course, the guy I was hoping to be the Falcons wide receiver one. Man, it was an early cut, too. He didn't even make it to preseason week three, uh, unfortunately. So we'll see, guys. Uh, we got a bunch of spring leagues popping up around, so hopefully my guys. Uh, I, I saw an ask me, like, what team do you hope uh, Auden Tate winds up on next? And I was like, hopefully it's the NFL. Uh, that's kind of just the goal <laughs> at this gamblers. point. <laughs> yeah, man. Why the hell not? But, yeah, couldn't quite get there with Odd. And then Duke Johnson gets cut today. I'm just happy my guy CPAT is still the running back, y'all, in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. CPAT is – is uh, he's the man. Like, he's he's going to ball out. All right. Let's uh, let's get into this this fantasy bus episode. And, uh, uh, Sean, I'll start with you since I uh, just asked Ian about the the, the cuts. But uh, name, a, name a bus before we get started. Just, like, who stings the most that, that you drafted? <laughs> and if you ever drafted a bus, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Mr. So, Oddsmaker over believe here. Believe me, I have drafted <laughs> plenty of bus. My favorite <laughs> bus of all time is actually my first draft pick of all time in – 1998 i was like nine years old and i selected cordell stewart with my first pick. flash yeah um and he was awful that year he threw like 12 <laughs> touchdowns 18 interceptions um he only ran for like 400 yards like he was a dual threat quarterback back then uh, but the league i was in didn't really uh <laughs> it wasn't the type of league to really draft a quarterback like cordell um so i i ended up picking up randall cunningham week one um and i only played cordell like twice that entire season. <laughs> um, and that's where I learned at a very young age, don't draft quarterbacks early. 
Ooh. That's a good bust, though. Like, he played 16 <laughs> games. You had to find someone else. Like, that's the worst part when someone's like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, Christian Christian McCaffrey busted for me two years ago. Like, yeah, we can't predict the injuries all the time. Come on. Yeah, right, man. but what this, was a, this was an awful pick. By <laughs> completely awful. Like, you were one of those guys that just took that takes I, a quarterback early in the well, draft. Well, yeah, this league, this league you should because um, it's six points for a passing touchdown. But Cordell, you know, he doesn't really throw touchdowns. It was just an awful, awful pick. But <laughs> – Picking up Randall Cunningham was a good pickup. So I, I learned quickly um, from my mistakes. <laughs> uh, what about you, Ian? Uh, a couple summers ago, best ball, I hadn't quite learned things like having reasonable exposures <laughs> to guys. And every time I got in his late double digit rounds, Chris Herndon, you know, how many times can you pass up someone attached <laughs> to Sam Darnold and uh, Adam Gase? And I just had this one damn stat I recited in every podcast I went on, probably said it on this one, where it's like nine rookie tight ends that averaged at least eight or nine yards per target. And it was Herndon, a bunch of like multi-time all pros. And I remember having, a, you know, another old friend of ours, Matthew Friedman on the pod and reading him that stat. And he was just like, you know, I, it's it's a, it's a good group, but if we're going to pick the exception out of that group, uh, I think it'd probably be Chris Herndon. And it certainly ended up turning out that way. I think nowadays we can describe it as that, you know, the, the soldiers meme and they got the one clown there. Yeah, the one clown was Chris Herndon. He went out there and was a prime pass blocker and murdered a good uh, 50, 60% of my best ball team. So kind of <laughs> love those uh, summer summer of 2019 Chris Herndon, Jay Sternberger stacks that just seemed oh, so great. Oh, boy. Jace. Oh, man. That, that, that is a callback to Matthew Friedman. I mean, <laughs> him and Kern are on this very pod debating debating this guy with that. I think it was Tunyon at the time. So, yeah, that's a Yeah, yeah. That's was, a good we were so back. close. We were so close <laughs> to getting that right. Ah, man. For me, I, I think it has to be it has to be Darren McFadden. Uh, you know, there was one year where there, like, there was a few years in there, like, there was just, like, no running backs to take if, like, you missed out on the first few in the first round. And so I was, like, all hyped on Darren McFadden, took him in, like, round two or something. And is this, like, Raiders or Cowboys? Which oh, this is this is Raiders McFadden. This is Raiders oh, McFadden. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on the Cowboys? I don't even remember. That must have been right. He had yeah. One year. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, no, it was, it was, it was worse. It was, oh, yeah. Man. That damn, it was the damn Joseph Randall, Darren McFadden year. To to figure <laughs> oh, it out. I had a ton of Joseph Randall, too. But he did have that one game where he had, like, I think yeah, like, yes. yes, yes, yes. So, <laughs> hey, it's not, it's not all bad. We um, got that one game. We'll always have that one. We'll game. Always have that one game. Uh, what, oh, what was the dude on the Cowboys that got everyone? Uh, Ogletree, that dude oh, Kevin yeah. Ogletree that oh. he balled out that week one and just never heard from him again. The the Sammy Watkins week one honor of excellence. <laughs> that's that's a good. I'm sure some people can, would name Sammy Watkins in this category. But uh, let's talk about a little bit about how we kind of go about identifying this guy, these guys more generally. Um, Ian, when, when you're kind of going up and down the draft board, what are some of the things you look at just, that just kind of give, give you a red flag? It's, I think a lot of times seeing guys with similar archetypes as another player and just the discrepancy in uh, picks, because I think when you've done enough drafts, like we have kind of throughout the summer, you just, you have different roster constructions and you're able to kind of see what, what you're feeling better about early on versus later. But for me, it's like seeing Joe Burrow going for, not to just spoil my pick, but Joe Burrow's going like pick 55. It's not just Burrow as like the QB six or seven or wherever he's being drafted. I think that's actually a reasonable spot, but it's when I have Burrow, I pick 55. 
55. I'm not fading Joe Burrow. I'm fading pick 55. Joe Burrow, when I can get, in my opinion, like poor man's versions of him and Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, 50 picks later. And then when I'm picking Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins, you know, who are we really picking them against? Some wide receiver fours, wide receiver fives, maybe a running back we kind of like. When I'm taking Joe Burrow in round five, like there's a Monroe St. Brown sitting there. There still might be George Kittle falling down the ranks sitting there. And so for me, it's that combination of a player that, yeah, we might like positionally, but where are they going in the overall scheme of things? And is, is it worth reaching on them enough to basically alter my line of construction uh, moving down the line? So for me, the two quarterbacks uh, that just, again, I think there's lesser versions of them, but just far more affordable at ranges of the draft. I like more. I'll take Kyla Murray and Jalen Hurts in round six instead of Josh Allen in round three. And then, yeah, the Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr types, again, literally 50 picks later after someone like Joe Burrow. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, when we talk about busts, I think a lot of people kind of hone in on specific players or, you know, things that like they, they just don't like, where a lot of times it can just be because of where where you're drafting the player and what position he is um, that, that can contribute to that. Sean, what about you? Like, what do you look for um, when you're kind of sniffing out a bust? Yeah, I agree with that logic. Just there are points in the draft where I'm just ignoring a position altogether. So I'm, I'm going to have less exposure. But we have to remember, if you're in a 12-team league, you're fading 92% of the player pool. Um, so I, I'm, I'm mostly focusing on the players I want. And then just by, you know, proxy, I'm going to like miss out on a bunch of guys and a bunch of my drafts. So that's kind of how I identify who I'm considering a bust. But it's it's typically players that perform closer to their ceiling um, the previous season and you're expecting regression um, or just their ADPs through the roof. You know, there's a lot of guys that I'm going to mention today that I love. Uh, but they're just going way too high and they're going around players I rather have. Um, there's also, you know, especially when it comes to the running back position, players where their their early season roles kind of murky. They could get leapfrogged by a backup. You know, last season, guys like Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin were kind of red flags for me. I didn't know exactly who was going to leapfrog Mike Davis. I had no idea it was going to be Carol <laughs> Patterson. But you kind of just know the players that are just being drafted too high. Um, so th those are sort of the red flags that I look for is just incoming regression and just murky situations. 92% of the players you're fading in a 12 C lead. That is a kind of data driven negativity. You can only get on a fantasy flex <laughs> podcast. Love it. Um, yeah, I, for me, it's, I think the big thing I always look for is guys entering the season hurt. I, I think yeah. that's always a red flag because, you know, statistically you can't really predict injuries, but we have also seen that statistically, um, having one injury tends to lead to more injuries. So, you know, if a guy misses, if a guy is on the, even on the injury report, he's more likely to be back on the injury report later in the season, um, things like that. So uh, that's always a red flag for me. I think another one, uh, it, it depends on position, but with running backs, um, you always kind of want to look at that offensive line. I think a lot of times if things go downhill that, that we didn't see coming, uh, it's the offensive line. Uh, and then Ian, to your point about certain player archetypes, I think, uh, you know, it's always you got to kind of watch out for these wide receivers, uh, these bigger bodied wide receivers as they age. Sometimes they can fall off a cliff a little bit faster than somebody that's a little more agile and doesn't really rely on his body as much to get open. So um, those Kenny, are the Kenny Galladay, Kenny Galladay on that Davis <laughs> Bryant trajectory, man, oh. I freaking hate it because, man, people act like Galladay is just like the worst wide receiver to grace the planet. And I get it. He's looking like that in the training camp footage, but not that long ago, guys, when him and Stafford were making some goodness happen uh, each and every week out there, it seemed like. But yeah, Chris, especially to your first point, big difference between someone being injury prone and already being injured. Mm -hmm. Like I don't like to assume that a perfectly healthy Christian McCaffrey is going to get hurt this year because he sprained his ankle. 
ankle last year. With that said, someone like a Michael Gallup, Jamison Williams, obviously has, you know, far more kind of obstacles to overcome before they get to week one. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to kind of decide on your your risk tolerance because even, you know, there was like even a guy like DeAndre Swift last year, I remember fading him and he, you know, he had some really good games, but at the end of the day, he played 13 games and you could kind of see that coming uh, just because of how he entered the season. So it's like, are you, if you're okay with 13 games or something in that range, then then you can take the player. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely something you have to watch out for. Well, let's start with running back. Cause I think running back is the one like historically, I, I just feel like the most players tend to to bust, or at least the most we remember, because we tend to draft these guys early in the draft. So, Ian, uh, who are some players that you have pegged as a potential bust at the running back position? In this middle range, again, it's, it's a mixture of I don't love the running backs going here, and also I still like the wide receivers. There's upside quarterback and tight ends option available, but it's that, you know, fabled RB dead zone again, kind of like the end of round four. Frozen pond. The frozen pond on this podcast. Base, the there we go. Here. Frozen pond. I like it. Okay. So it's like, you know, like end of round four, I kind of, you know, depends where Cam Akers is going these days. He's even falling to round six sometimes, but end of round four to basically beginning of round seven, when I'm seeing guys like Josh Jacobs, you know, still going around there, the Elijah Mitchells of the world, uh, Antonio Gibson before it really plummeted out of him. I know he's not really in that range anymore, but these early down backs that are stuck in committees that aren't going to catch the ball as much as we want them to. Like, I think these guys that I talked about probably can catch the ball like Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry, I'm sure they can go out there and catch a swing pass, but they're not, you know, the Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey's of the world. But it's just the fact that we're taking a chance on these early down running backs, really just because I think people panic when they're drafting, when you get the wide receivers and tight ends early, and you're looking at a roster with only one running back in round five and six, and you're like, I should get more. But I think it's unique this year, guys, having the Kareem Hunt, Cordero Patterson, Chase Edmonds range, where I know Edmonds is starting to go up a little bit, but having those sort of explosive pass-catching running backs available in rounds like eight and nine sometimes, like I felt better than ever going with, you know, the hero RB, superhero RB, whatever the hell we want to call, getting one or two RBs early because we have those workhorses in the first three rounds I like, but that middle area is where it gets muddled, man. Miles Sanders, uh, the Seahawks guys, depending on what where they go, always say, don't hate the player hate the ADP. If Antonio Gibson's now going to be going round nine, round 10, and we're not sure exactly what's going on with Brian Robinson, I can get behind that, just not exactly in round five. So I'd say, again, Elijah Mitchell, uh, Josh Jacobs, even David Montgomery to an extent, although his last usage looked all right. Those are three guys that, based on both you know their personal uh, situation and what I think their volume's going to look like and just the players are giving up around them, I have not been drafting much of them at all. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I approach it, too. It's like I, I look at that whole frozen pond here as kind of like if I can get him in like round eight or nine, then I'm fine sure, with yeah. it. But like I'm like if if I'm drafting him in round five, I, I'm pretty sure I'm sure they're going to be a bust. Like it's it's like, why would you even do it? It it just doesn't make sense to me. But uh, Sean, what about you? Who's some guys that are running back that you think uh, could potentially bust? Yeah. So the three backs I highlighted are Elijah Mitchell. J.K. Dobbins and Devin Singletary. And again, these are all three backs that I, I like them. There's going to be times during the season where I use them heavily in DFS and spots. Uh, but just starting with Elijah Mitchell, um, it's tough to ever trust the most expensive 49ers running back. I mean, <laughs> this is all about the scheme, not necessarily about the individual talent. However, Eli Mitchell is probably the, the one running back that could probably buck this trend. But his role is going to be fairly limited to those least valuable touches. You know, uh, Trey Lance and Debo Samuel could eat into potential goal line work. 
the Niners typically use a different back on passing downs. I mean, they use their fullback Kyle Juszczyk in the passing game. They typically have some back like a Jermichael Hasty run route. So Mitchell's going to be, you know, constrained to those carries in between the 20s that don't offer much fancy value. And he's prone to, you know, Shanahanigans where he can get benched outright <laughs> by a Jeff Wilson. We don't know, you know, what's going to happen. Um, so Mitchell's like the ideal frozen pond candidate. Um, and then J.K. Dobbins, you mentioned it, Raybon, just a guy dealing with injuries heading into the season. Um, it, you know, it might be by week five or six before he's even 100%. So I think in the RB26 range, that's a red flag for me. Um, you know, he's going to be more of a frustrating touchdown dependent RB3 flex option until he's 100%. And then Singletary, I mean, I loved his usage at the end of last year. I think he was the RB2 over the final like six or seven weeks. I mean, that when he is used as a workhorse back, I love him. But, you know, it sounds like Zach Moss, unfortunately, is like the, the undertaker coming back from the dead gift. <laughs> um, so he could eat into goal line work. And then they drafted James Cook in the second round. So they're going to use him um, on passing down. So the Bills already don't have that much volume to go around for the running backs anyway. So that's why I'm worried about Singletary in the RB28 range. And again, this is the range where I'm getting guys like A.J. Dillon, Kareem Hunt, Tony Pollard, who, you know, they're technically the backups, but they have a much, much higher ceiling. Um, so that's why these three backs in this range I'm typically avoiding, and I consider them bus candidates. Yeah, you know, Dobbins is a guy, that's always the first guy I mentioned. I've been talking about this for, for months now. It just we have no guarantees of like what's going on with him. Like everything I've read sounds pretty pessimistic in terms of his availability for week one. Uh, they just went out and signed Kenyon Drake. Yep. So there's just a lot going on with Dobbins. And Dobbins is in one of those schemes. I know we love, you know, the Ravens because they run a lot, but it, that's another scheme where it's not always about the back either. So yards uh, per carry is one of the most overrated fantasy oh stats we have out there. And it's yes. not that, I get it. Like Dobbins is awesome, but he's not going to catch the ball. And even when Ingram was out of the picture, his rookie year, like Gus Edwards was still staying super involved. So even if Dobbins is healthy and stuff, it's still going to be a multi-back committee, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And they don't care who they use. I mean, look, they used Devontae Freeman like <laughs> 16 games last year. They dusted him off. Like, Love they, Bill. <laughs> like yeah, they don't use anyone <laughs> in this backfield. Uh, so Dobbins always sticks out to me because I just don't feel like, He's dropped far enough. Like I still see him going, you know, people drafting him as a, a, a top 24 back at in certain points. And I don't think you can count on him, not just week one, uh, but early in the season in general. So um, he's a guy and, you know, I, I look at even a Cam Akers, you know, he's going 19 and there's just a lot of question marks about number one is health because now we're hearing he hasn't been practicing and like Henderson's ahead of him in, in terms of health, which we didn't really kind of weren't privy to until recently. Uh, then we hear all camp that he's split in number one backfield duties with Henderson. And even Sean McVay has said that as well. So uh, like in this range of the draft, Ian, like you said, like there's, it's about the alternative, the opportunity cost. And I just can't afford to take a running back who might miss a ton of games in a premium pick like this, or might not get a full workload when I could take like a, a Terry McLaurin, who's going to get like, you know, 40% of his team's air yards or something like that. So uh, I, I think, you know, Aker stands out to me and, uh, and and J.K. Dobbins. And then, you know, as far as the rest of these guys, like I can see concerns with, you know, even a guy like Brees Hall, who is going to start the year probably as the, the number two behind Carter. And then we're, we're kind of banking on him to take over. But it's a it's an offense that's not going to score a ton of touchdowns, you don't think. So, like, he could be too high. Um, you know, you already mentioned Mitchell. I think Jacobs has, you know, some bust potential as well. Although I like his upside to kind of balance it out. But anyone oh, hey. who's too high – 
Chris, what about like Damian Pierce though? Because he's about to be in that conversation. I, know. I think it's going to cost a round five pick to get him. And I'll tell you what, I'm I'm not liking round five Damian Pierce. A couple weeks ago, round eight, round nine, okay. Right. Not this. <laughs> yeah. He's still playing on the Texans, man. They're still going to use Rex and probably Dario Gubawale on pass downs. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's what people who don't like fully always look at these like snap counts and things don't realize. Like, like this team is going to use other backs, especially in passing situations. And it's a battle one. And so you're going to have like mm-hmm. terrible game script every game pretty much for the tech. Except that, except, yeah, like except when they probably play the Colts on opening day and they'll probably, because <laughs> the Colts never win on opening day. Don't get day. that one. Yeah, yeah. But after, yeah, trade him after week one. No, but I uh, love Pierce. Yeah, hate the spot that he's going to. Yeah. That he's going to end up on. Um, all right, let's shift gears and go to wide receiver. Ian, who are some guys at wide receiver that you think uh, could bust? Two earlier round ones that are sticking out are uh, Debo Samuel, 16th player overall. Like That's the issue for me. If I can get Debo in round three, I think that's fine. But like right now, PFF projections, we have him 26th in targets among wide receivers with 110. If he gets the role he had in weeks one through nine last year, it's going to be fantastic. But his fantasy points per game didn't change when he started playing running back more. So people don't, didn't really care. And okay, points of points. He was at 21 versus 20 weeks one through nine versus weeks 10 to the NFC championship. His expected PPR points per game went from 17.1 to 12.7. We don't want rush attempts when they take the place of targets. If it's a guy getting 100 targets and we can throw 20 rush attempts on, great, fine. We'll take the extra touches. But we talk about this with running backs all the time. Like the Debo Samuel role – it needs to be done by a guy who's apparently going to be the most efficient running back in all of football. That's what Debo was last year. That's why it worked. I don't like having to bet on that behind an offensive line that might not be as dominant and a healthier team that could actually now be using guys like Jeff Wilson, Trey Sermon, Tyrion Davis-Price, their new third-round rookie, more so in that running back role. So then we're left with Debo adjusting to a new quarterback in Trey Lanson. I think well, we saw Nick Mullins average over eight yards per attempt. Like I think Shannon's going to scheme enough, you know, easy, quick hitters there for Lance and having, you know, just beasts like Debo Kittle and uh, Brandon Ayuk out there, like Lance will be fine. But we see this with the dual threat quarterbacks is all this is really good for the quarterback, not so good for the rest of the pieces in the offense. So for Debo, it's just one of those situations where I, I got to take a player 16th overall who could understandably just finish second on his own team and targets. Like it's, it's a lot to pay. And yeah, he's amazingly talented. I get it. But so are the players going around him. Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, like CeeDee Lamb sometimes, man. I'm not fading like Debo Samuel for some scrub with more volume. I'm fading him for a fellow baller wide receiver that objectively has a much higher volume floor. So for me with Debo, not taking him in the middle of round two. And then also, man, uh, just on Chris's point about not wanting these guys that are actively injured right now, Jalen Waddle with this soft yeah. tissue injury, three weeks apparently not practicing, already was a little bit steep for me. I mean, we've seen an average over the last decade – 4.3 teams have produced multiple top 24 PPR wide receivers in the same season. Yeah, okay. I can see Tua taking a nice little leap forward, but really, is he going to be one of those quarterbacks to enable two top 24 wide receivers? It could happen, but you see the Bengals, you know, the Chargers, Bucks, Bills, Broncos, Rams, Vikings, Raiders. You start to kind of quickly come up with these other teams that I think make a bit more sense. So Waddle was someone that I think was always just going to have a hard time in a slow pace and potentially more run-heavy offense that I think we're uh, giving credit for out over there in Miami, depending on how much Mike McDaniel takes away from Kyle Shanahan. But Jalen Waddle is a number two wide receiver 
seemingly. I don't know why else they paid Tyreek all that money. Uh, being priced really uh, far more like a wide receiver one. So I've been drafting guys like, you know, Terry McLaurin, uh, obviously the wide receiver ones, but Terry McLaurin. And I, I just think that Jalen Waddle probably deserves uh, to be way more kind of in that Gabriel Davis, Allen Robinson mix. I don't think that in this offense, he should be prioritized amongst the other wide receiver twos out there. I got Gabriel Davis over Jalen Waddle like that. Cause like yeah. to your point, it's yeah. like if, if a team is going to support two wide receivers, it's going to be the bills or the <laughs> Dolphins. I think it's going to be the bills. Uh, Sean, what about you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm piggybacking on Jalen Waddle at wide receiver 15. Um, that stood out for a while now. And yeah, he's already dealing with an injury. Um, plus he he's sitting on the top of a massive tier. There's, 16 wide receivers uh, until you see 10 fantasy points drop off in my uh, projections. So it just goes to show it's really tight. Um, you can get guys similar to Waddle later. Um, and like you said, you know, he's the number two wide receiver in the Dolphins offense. I don't know if that can really support two, you know, borderline wide receiver ones. The Bills and Bucks are the two teams I would say could do that. Um, and Waddle, I mean, he was amazing last year, but he did benefit from. Devontae Parker and Will Fuller missing significant amount of time. Plus the offensive line was terrible. So they would just dink and dunk to Waddle, you know, with the offensive line being a bit better. Um, and Cedric Wilson's an upgrade, I think, for the wide receiver three slot. So he's going to have more competition for targets this year. And then my other guy, this is not going to be popular, but Amon Ross St. Brown at wide oh, receiver 21. What? I'm going Sean. there. I'm going there because wow. I, th- this is one of those things where I, I'm just targeting guys like um, Brandon Cooks, Allen Robinson, or Gabe Davis here. I just think they have more upside. And with St. Brown, like obviously he has a massive, massive floor, right? He is by far the number one target in this offense. He only saw four end zone targets on 119 targets last year. So I think he is going to see some touchdown regression off of his five last year. So he's going to be more of the DJ Moore, Jacoby Myers types where he's just, you know, he's going to rack up catches every week, but he could have times where he's, you know, has has a touchdown drought, uh, which could be frustrating. So I just think at wide receiver 21, I wish there was a little bit more touchdown upside there. Again, I love him. I'm going to target him in DFS almost every week but when it comes to his overall upside i think it's it's more limited than people realize Ooh, i don't i don't know about that i mean I, that I is a little high. If, he, if he falls outside of the top 25 i'm taking him yeah. like let me be clear i'm not saying oh fade him he sucks i'm just saying <laughs> that's the range where you can get like an alan robinson or gabe davis who i just yeah. absolutely love so that's that's my point i don't know man they've been working they, I've, I've heard they're still using him as, as like in the backfield in camp and like they're I, they really think he's like their star of their team. So I I, I like he him was much Ross. more fun when we got him um in round fourteen. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were hyping him up. It looked like it was gonna be a, a like a, a bust for a while there, and then he yeah. just came, that second half of the season he really just. Uh, I, I remember we got the uh, golf was like oh yeah he gave the Cooper Cup comp, and then like it was Amon Ra's birthday, and he didn't even catch a single pass. And I was I threw my hands up. I was like all right, it's not happening. Then the guy can't even catch right. a pass on his own birthday. And then you know week sixteen comes along, it's like what the hell is going on? out here yeah it's uh you know i mean i mean i get you know so he has that one year some people might be like skeptical but i i, I like him i'm around st brown i i think i don't yeah, think I, I like him and to be fair he he went off when both swift and hawkinson were out you know i know that that point's brought up but it does matter just when it comes to yeah. you know creating projections and stuff so i yeah. i think he has a really high floor but his touch on upside is limited that's all for me, it's, I mean, I, you guys already said it. It's Jaywin Waddle. I, I just yeah. think that, you know, coming into the year, her, you know, new number one receiver. And that's what you're kind of banking on Waddle because he's he wasn't like a high ADOT guy either. And, you know, like he, he's got to kind of get a 
ton of targets to really pay off when you're taking him as a wide receiver too. So uh, I, I think that at this point, he, there's just guys I'd rather have more um, going after him. So uh, Jalen Waddle for me at wide receiver. Any bust, Ian? I know there you kind of mentioned uh, Burrow before. Any any bust at quarterback or tight end position um, that you see? I mentioned Burrow, and just again, literally, right. I'm looking at Fantasy Pros consensus ADP. Burrow pick 56. Derek Carr pick 109. Kirk Cousins pick 112. And then Josh Allen like pick 22. I just I won't take any quarterback at the end of round two. You know, nine year old Sean will, but you know, 29 year old Ian will not be taking uh, the early round quarterback there at tight end. I will say uh, similar to that running back range that we kind of have. You know, in the end of round seven through like round nine. I do think having Goddard, Ertz, and Dawson Knox there, like that's the last. Kind of group of three tight ends that I really want to get and leave my fantasy draft with. You know, we have a bunch of late late round guys, but I'm really confident about 10 tight ends. So for that reason, Dalton Schultz, you know, pick 64. He's really going next to a lot of those running backs we talked about not liking. I just think, you know, when it's Dalton Schultz versus like Kyler Murray or versus Amon Ross St. Brown, when maybe a couple of weeks ago when his ADP was still up a little bit, but I'm taking out the other guy, you know, every single time in that equation. Cause for me, I think it's a tier with Schultz, Hawkinson, Goddard, Ertz, and Knox. I, I see them all in the same tier, basically. And the fact that Schultz is going closer to Waller and sometimes even Kittle, I can't get behind that. So I understand the available opportunities in the Cowboys offense, but man, I've watched every single game Don Schultz has played. This is one of the most mid-tight ends we've ever been drafting as a consensus top six ever. So I have him ranked as a top six tight end as well. I have him ranked as my tight end six, which is where he's going. But I have him right next to these other guys, not multiple rounds ahead of him. You know, that's a good point on Schultz because I was just thinking about this too. And, you know, everything we've been seeing out of Cowboys camp and here and uh, Jake Ferguson has been playing really well and he's going to be like a part of the offense um, yeah. from day one, it sounds like. Uh, and then, and Hendershot is also playing well. So like, remember how Dalton Schultz came up, right? He was the second guy to, uh, second fiddle to, to uh, who was it, Blake Jarwin. Jarwin yep. Yeah, and then, <laughs> you know, Jarwin's in and out of the lineup. Schultz eventually puts up some good games and then he takes over. Last year, he runs a route like, you know, like 80% of the time. And there's like no competition in, in that Cowboys tight end room. But now... Uh, it sounds like there is, and now they might have more of that, like Jarwin Schultz split again with Ferguson in the mix. So uh, I, I think that's a good call on just, you know, kind of tempering expectations with Schultz because there is a lower floor uh, this year than I think there was last year when there was just, you know, once they released Jarwin, especially, there was just nobody. One more thing, even if this only helps one listener, like don't draft Noah Fant for the love of God. <laughs> I, I keep seeing this dude like <laughs> way too high in his ADPs. So I, I'm really in a draft where it happens, but my goodness, people, don't do it. Yeah, he's like like tight end like twenty one or something. Yeah, even that seems high. Sean, what about you? Any busted a quarterback or tight end? Yeah, I like the Joe Burrow call. Like Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott, those are quarterbacks that you know you might as well just punt because uh, th- those are offenses I want to invest in their skill players. Like, don't get me wrong, I still love you know investing in those offenses. But you know, Dak Prescott's losing his top receiver, Amari Cooper. Although C.D. Lamb is probably an upgrade at this point in his career. But the depth chart, you know, it took a bit of a hit. They lost Cedric Wilson. Um, they lost James Washington. Michael Gallup might not be able to play for the first few weeks. Um, and Jalen Tolbert will probably be the number two receiver, and he's had mixed reviews. So uh, with the Tyron Smith injury, everything's adding up to Dak, you know, maybe regressing a bit this year. And he doesn't offer as much rushing upside after his uh, 2020 injury. So there's just not as much to like. I'm still investing in CeeDee Lamb, might take a swing on Jalen Tolbert, but Dak himself, I think, uh, is a bit pricey 
Um, and then at tight end, I mean, everybody's ranked about where they should be, but I think Darren Waller is a, you know, a tight end I've been kind of passing on because he might not be ready for week one. So Rayvon, like you said, he's already entering the season with a bit of a hamstring injury last year. It, you know, we thought he was going to miss a game with like knee and back issues and he ended up missing like five or so. So we, we have to remember he was a late bloomer. He's turning 30 years old. I think it's next week. Um, so he's not a spring chicken anymore. So these injuries might linger longer longer than they should. But either way, Devontae Adams being on the team is going to eat in his target share. And Waller hasn't really been an end zone threat for some reason. So I think that's going to cap his fantasy upside. So in this range, I mean, I'd rather take one of the top three tight ends or just wait until, you know, some value later on. I think taking Darren Waller is a bit of a reach right now. Yeah, you know, Waller is a guy that's kind of I've been getting a little bit more concerned about just because it's another one of those situations like Waddle where they have guys that can take up a ton of targets in yeah. Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro. I mean, those guys get open pretty much every play. So are, are we positive it's really hurt though? I mean, we had the contract. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, I was, that's... I was, yeah, that's that's the other thing though. But yeah. it you know, it's it and that could be it, but yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely something to monitor. And it, I mean, either way, he kind of came up like the reason we love Waller is because he's just a target hog. Right. Yeah. And yep. like now with, you know, we, we, you know, we saw it in week one, he was great last year, but like, as the season wore on, you know, Renfro was there and, and he, he was kind of eating into Waller's targets a little bit. And now, uh, now you have Adams there. So there definitely will be a downgrade you know, to his target share regardless. He he definitely no longer has the, like, I'm going to leave my team in targets yes. and have 150 right. on his range of outcomes. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Like, now I think, like, that that guy probably this year is Kyle Pitts. Like, you know, if if yeah. if, the, if Atlanta actually mm-hmm. throws the ball enough, <laughs> he could be that guy. Um, totally. Kind of like the way Andrews kind of turned into that guy in a low-volume team uh, as well. You know, quarterback, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think. that He's, he's still QB 10, still going off the board, you know, in the top 100. I, again, like, Ian, to your point, you know, there's other guys you can take here that have similar upside at this point and just better skill positions. I mean, are the Packers really going to go out and throw the ball over the yard this year? Probably not, you know, but will the Vikings? Maybe. Will the will the Raiders? Probably, you know, so there are, there are a lot of other quarter. And then you're not even talking about guys who can just run like Justin Fields. So, yeah. um, you know, they're, and, and, you know, even Stafford and, and Russell Wilson now and Trey Lance, the, all these guys are still going after Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, I can't really get behind that. And uh, yeah, tight end, uh, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, Schultz is a guy that I'm I'm kind of steering away from just because I think you, at that point, you, if you've missed out on the top, you know, three, four guys, I, I think you might as well just wait and see if like a Goddard or or, or Knox falls uh, a little later. I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, since we, we, we talk about all these busts, um, but there are a lot of players that, you know, people kind of cite in the in these type of, of shows or, or articles or whatever. Um, so, you know, I wanted to ask, like, who's one player that gets commonly thrown around as a potential bust that you're actually high on? I think uh, Travis Etienne is a pretty popular running back. People write off to try to start grouping him into kind of that frozen pond, as you guys put it, a uh, group. And I don't think he belongs there. I think this guy has a chance to be you know, the AFC's basically version of DeAndre Swift, this explosive pass-catching running back on a terrible team where we look up and it's like, oh, look, the Jaguars lost by 17 again, but Etienne had an extra 40 receiving yards and a garbage-time touchdown. Like, So we're good. The James Robinson coming back, similar to J.K. Dobbins, we really have no idea if he's going to be 
starting in week one of what his role is going to be. So even giving James Robinson or Snoop Connor or whoever, like 50% of the team carry share, ETN is still someone in a pretty wide open passing game playing alongside his former, you know, college quarterback that I think has a chance to actually, you know, be clearing 60 or so targets without too much of a problem. Right now, you know, PFF projecting him for 60 targets, 211 rush attempts. And that just seems like a pretty reasonable floor to me if James Robinson even is back to his full form. So we got, again, this whole offseason, the Debo Samuel role. Like, uh, no, Travis Etienne's a running back. Just because Urban Meyer put him out wide receiver for a week of practice last year doesn't mean the Debo Samuel role is there. The Christian McCaffrey role, the I don't leave the field because I can do everything role, maybe that's on. Maybe that's there for uh, Travis Etienne. So I know the history of Doug Peterson, you know, isn't fantastic here, but you look at the kind of guys going uh, alongside Travis Etienne, Zeke, Montgomery, even Brees Hall, like Jacobs, previously Antonio Gibson. And I just think Etienne, man, having that explosive, just theoretical, I don't even think it's theoretical. We saw it in preseason, uh, really the first first game. Second game is a little fluky because of those drives, but Etienne really has a chance. I mean, we could look up after week one, he's playing 80% snaps, and all of a sudden this dude's like locked in as an RB1, or he's still out there, you know, flirting with five to seven targets potentially every single week. So full PPR, I will take that. Sean, what about you? Uh, I'm going with Gabe Davis. You know, he's been somebody that a lot of people are calling a bust. They just Ooh, don't get the. I haven't heard him. Are you kidding? I'll send you articles. I'll I'll show you what I'm talking about after. I hear you're, no Gabe Davis you're, you're, you're in our bubble. It's all muted. But I'm telling you, man, and people, they shit on the hype train because he went off for 200 yards and four touchdowns. Like we're expecting that every week, getting him, you know, the wide receiver 25 slot. I, I just think when it comes to him, it, it depends where your priors were on Gabe Davis before uh, he went off against the Chiefs. Um, and heading into last season, I was super high on Gabe Davis. You were too, Raybon, where, you know, once they signed Emmanuel Sanders, I'm like, okay, we got to pump the brakes, probably need one more year. So we were already high on him. And that's why we weren't that surprised that he went off. But I think a lot of people are overlooking him still. And anytime he's been asked to step up, and see more playing time he's produced so that's why i'm still a big believer and like i said raybon after this i will show you the evidence i don't want to see it I, I, okay you. well I'll, okay <laughs> i'm sending it no matter what so oh man be ready for it <laughs> uh for me i'll go cordero patterson actually i, I think cordero yeah. patterson like people just kind of writing him off because down the stretch last year he had a couple bad games and um but if you kind of paid attention to this you know th- this offseason usually they treated him they gave him the starter treatment uh, they're, they're kind of keeping him in bubble wrap. He's a guy that they use a ton in the red zone, and he's going to have opportunities because now you have London, you have you have Pitts there to take some of the, the, the attention off. So uh, I, I just think they're going to be able to scheme up a ton of ways to give him high leverage targets. Um, and and like he's like he's your, you, you talk about Debo Samuel and going too high. This is your like you know arbitrage Debo Samuel, right? Like it's like a guy's going to line up at receiver some weeks, running back some weeks. He'll be used extensively in the red zone. Uh, they need to use him because they don't, you know, they only have so many guys that they can give touches to. And look at this running back depth chart. You got Tyler Algier, Damian Williams, uh, Avery Williams, a former cornerback, I think is still on the roster. Like there's going to be a lot of chances for Patterson just in the backfield alone. And then he's also their second best wide receiver, you know, if, unless you consider Pitts a wide receiver, which he essentially is. So um, I, I really like uh, getting Patterson you know, down there at the end of that frozen pond when everyone already like drafted J.K. Dobbins and, and Rashad Penny, who like, you know, have I think Patterson has just as much of a chance at, at putting up value as those guys. 
CPAT was legit an upside RB1 before he got hurt last year. And everyone's like, well, he's probably not going to do that again. Okay, he's now the cheapest starting running back in all of fantasy. It's similar to the Mon Ra stuff when he was a value going closer like, to the wide right. receiver 30 line. It's like, yeah, he's yeah. probably not going to be the overall wide receiver two again. But that's kind of cool. We have a stretch that tells us that they're able to yeah. produce at that level. Yeah. And, you know, watch him take a – a kickback for a touchdown like week one. So he's one more. He's one more for the all time <laughs> yeah. record. He's going wow. for it. He's going for yeah. that one. So, you know, it's, it's happening. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ian, man, this was, this was great. Always appreciate you uh, coming on the pod. Let everybody know uh, what you're up to and where they can find you at. Good time as always, dudes. Yes, at iHeart, it's on Twitter, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. All the written goodness over at PFF.com. You can check out our new app, Pro Football Focus. Now has an app, handy dandy, all that good stuff. We even have a draft now feature that helps you see me, Dwayne McFarland, Kevin Cole, Nathan Yonke, our round by round, pick by pick, strategy, targets, all that and more. So go check out that new app. And 10 days, guys, Cordell Stewart, number of days away until uh, <laughs> until we get Thursday night. Let's go. <laughs> yes, cannot wait. You guys can find Sean on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker, and you can find me at Chris Raybon. And you can find us at those same handles in the free award-winning Action Network app. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com for all of our fantasy football uh, rankings and projections and content. And uh, be sure to check out all the other episodes up on the channel. We have a ton uh, of fantasy content to get you ready for your draft. Until next time, let's get this money. Money.